Hello, welcome to Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Fast and Furious, Tops and Shop. Before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is to be doing this podcast? On this podcast, we talk about games, but we're finishing up our deep dive into the Fast and Furious franchise, a franchise I have very normal feelings about, okay, very real, straightforward feelings, not weird feelings about, okay, um, and uh, yeah, I guess I guess we're getting into it, I guess we're going going hard. Um, Hobbs and Shaw, it's, we did it, it's out, what do you want to, what do you want to, how do we, where do we start, what do you want to uh, say? I guess, pre-spoiler pre feelings. I guess we're, we're yep. cl- maybe we're close enough to the present day that uh, we want to do pre-spoiler warnings um, or pre-spoiler uh, opinions. Uh, I thought this movie was fine. I thought it was entertaining, um, especially I it grew on me more as the movie went on. Like yeah. the opening of the movie, I was like, oh, this is Fast and Furious does a Marvel movie and not in the good ways. And I'm not in for a good time. But like... The very kind of like bad jokes petered out relatively early on, and so I didn't feel as bad about it. Um, it's also probably the least Fast and Furious movie of all of these movies that we've watched so far. Like mm-hmm. this feels more like a straight action flick than it does yes. like a nominal, you know, race car superhero flick, which is kind of how we've been describing the the later Fast and Furious movies. Um, so those are kind of like. I thought it was neat. Um, I have yet to see, obviously, how much it plays into any of the later movies and if it needs, um, like, if, uh, if, if, like, it's worth it. But, like, I did not regret watching this movie in any way. Um, buddy, what did you think of this movie? Um, I think... It's funny. At the time, I remember liking this movie. And I do think that on its, on its raw action merits... You know what? David Leitch is the co-director of John Wick. Uh, he did Deadpool 2. He's done a bunch of other stuff, right? Bullet Train, obviously, which I liked a lot. I think he's just a good, talented director, basically, at the end of the day. Um, but I kind of feel like the reality is this doesn't feel... This does not give me the good feelings that Fast and Furious gives me. This is ultimately forgettable, right? Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, you know, I, I guess we'll get into the details or whatever. But a lot of that has to do with The Rock, really. Like, the centerpiece of this is that The Rock and Vin Diesel were feuding, right? Um, the Rock kind of became co-lead of the Fast and Furious movies. Paul Walker died, and The Rock... He, he's kind of famous for, like, muscling in, um, yeah. you know, using his sort of stardom. Yeah, right. Uh, using his sort of stardom to get stuff done. Um, and... My thing is, my, my expectation, it feels like this in post, is that he essentially gets written out of Fast 9 and the mainline series, right? There is no more Hobbs in the mainline Fast and Furious series, right? Um, he gets this spinoff, and in this spinoff, he kind of gets to do whatever he wants, and I don't think what he wants is good. I think he sort of... I can't believe I'm about to, like, say, make this point. He sort of ruins the, like, world of Fast and the Furious, in a way, with the way that this movie sort of frames and approaches things. Um, And I... I know how insane that sounds. 
this is a movie franchise, right? Where, you know, they do evil doppelgangers for one of the movies. You know, they're fighting a tank and an F1 car that's flipping cars into other cars. You know, they drive out of airplanes. They drive from one building in Dubai to another building in Dubai. And it's just like, like, I understand that I, I understand that it is incredible to be making the claim that this movie ruins that world, right? Um, but there's this, uh, I don't know. There's something about this movie that feels off and weird in a bad way. Um, it is kind of the culmination of a feeling that I had, and I sort of described when we talked about Fate of the Furious, um, how that one feels like it's in the middle of this fucking identity crisis. Uh, the identity crisis of Fate of the Furious really does seem to get kind of split open with F9 and with Hobbs and Shaw, and Hobbs and Shaw is not my favorite, uh, for those reasons, I guess. That's fair enough. Um, also, just real quick, you might, I think you might be on the wrong mic. Um, Am I on the wrong mic? Let's check. Um, <laughs> but I, I kind of feel that, like, this is all in the trailer, so I don't think it quite veers into, uh, spoiler territory yet, but it's like... It feels kind of like a kind of bog standard action flick with like a tourism ad for American Samoa tacked on the end. Um, uh, like it felt like if you told like a robot or a committee that these movies were about family and then told them to go make another movie without any other detail. And then they made this movie, right? Like, like they were clearly trying to hit on those family themes, right? Like the Rock's family and Jason Statham's were, uh, yeah. Uh, he has this whole thing at the end about how, oh, what, the, you know, whatever the guy, the bad guy's name is, I didn't even remember. You know, like what, what you've been missing is heart at the end, and it's just like that stuff rings real, real false to me. Um, and uh, I don't think it would ring false if Vin Diesel was saying it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's that's that that is that's true. That's because I think that's part of that's because like Vin Diesel doesn't really crack wise the way The Rock does, right? Yeah. Like No, that, that, that's that's exactly why, right? Vin Diesel, like I said, Vin Diesel treats this shit like it's Shakespeare, right? Um and The Rock wants to do bits, you know? He wants to do these goofy bits and it sort of ruins it. You know what this is this is actually I think this is like this is like what we were talking about with like, you know, Deadpool works best as a secondary character in another movie, right? Yeah. This sure. is like when the Lancer gets the camera turned on him for the whole time, you can't do it for that long or else it kind of like doesn't quite work, right? The, he's, this, he's defined as the foil to the hero, right? And in this movie, like The Rock try, like is trying to be that hero. Like both him and Jason Statham are like foily characters, Right, and they're not foiling against anything, right? Like even, you know, Jason's or even the you know Decker Shaw's sister is not like heroy enough for that, to, or like she doesn't have a front and center enough role. Yeah, but this is yeah, this is another thing that I think uh, is tough. It is functionally a buddy cop movie, right? Yeah. Where you have this like odd couple pairing, but in any of the great buddy cop films, right? Maybe Men in Black is the best example I can think of off the top of my head. The reason that those movies work is because the two halves of the coupling 
are wildly different, right? You know, you have Tommy Lee Jones who can do his thing and he's playing off of Will Smith doing his thing, right? I yeah, there is there are differences between The Rock and Jason Statham. Like I'm not I'm not dumb enough to say that there aren't. Um, but I don't think that they're pronounced enough in terms of vibe or like energy to right. really like let the 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 contrast graduate to become a true juxtaposition, right? Um, right now they're kind of these contrasts of like muscle bound. Like there's there's a weird um, it's because they're trying to do big guy little guy, but like Shaw isn't enough of like a little guy little guy for that to like work. Right, like he doesn't have a little guy personality, yeah. right? Like, and there, and, and there's also a thing of like, 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 brutish and finesse, right? Right. You know, Shaw drives a McLaren. You know, he is he is like a very this very like sleek car. The Rock, Hobbs drives these gigantic trucks, right? Like that's his thing, right? Um, but like, but because, and th this one is weirdly on Shaw, but because Shaw has this cockney accent and like lowbrow British energy to him, it totally ruins the like posh James Bond thing they're kind of going for with him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah right. Cause like he <laughs> reads more like, like, uh, like a mafioso than, yeah. than like a, a British spy, like what right, right you're saying, right? Like this is where you get like, like. And this, this movie would have been better if it had been the two Shaw brothers, right? Like playing off each other oh, in that yeah. way, right? Yeah, like, Owen and, uh... or, or The Rock and Owen, right? Like that, that was, yes. So okay, I guess spoiler warning for whoever. Yeah, cares okay, about we that. should yeah. do spoilers. Yeah. Sure. Um, the thing, the thing, like I know this is like a dumb, like nitpicky type thing, but like when he goes to their mom and she's like, "I want to see you and your sister walk in together," right? I'm like. What about the brother? He's not dead yet, right? <laughs> like he showed up in the last movie. He's yeah, right. Part of the uh, you know they they infiltrate um, Cipher's plane uh, yeah. together, like her crazy plane headquarters. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised they didn't like. I was hoping they at least like give him a cameo, right? Like he shows up with the two of them in that like you know ending scene with the uh, with the mom, but like you know I guess not. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I think the pitch of I actually think that the the pitch of it's like, what's the what's the name of the guy in Die Hard? Bruce uh, Willis's character. Do you remember? Uh, wow. Um, I I feel I, like a God. Yeah, I'm totally blanking on this, but I'm not, I now have to look it up because it's going to kill me if I if I fucking don't. Die Hard. Um, John McClane. John McClane, right? I think the pitch of John McClane and James Bond team up to do an action movie is killer right yeah and you can sort of see how maybe in another world they could have gotten there but like because the rock kind of slathers this you know him persona all over all over top of it and this is sort of the thing i was complaining about. do you remember black adam this is sort of the thing i was complaining mm -hmm. about at black adam right and when i talked about how that trailer felt amazing it's because the rock was not doing his shtick right right um this movie is all The Rock doing his shtick, which is why it's like so frustrating. Um, but uh, I think I, I definitely think that that would have worked better. Um, and I think so. And so, anyway, my sort of central thesis is that it's actually a pretty well made movie. The action and stuff is pretty good. 
Um, especially this is probably the the Fast and Furious film that actually has, in my opinion, like the best like fights, right? Like choreography for two guys beating the the shit out of one another, right? Um, and you know, not that the Fast and Furious has done a lot of this stuff, but like things like Shaw and Vin Diesel fighting, where Vin Diesel takes the you know, the two wrenches and wheels them like fucking lightsabers in Furious 7, right? Like, that's, th that stuff is the stuff that really popped off the screen to me. And I was like, oh, this is great. Um, the car stuff is okay. Uh, I like the car stuff at the very end on American Samoa. They're fighting a helicopter. They're doing this thing with the- I was going to say, the, 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 the chaining, so they chained together like four of these like buggies, Right. And like that yeah. felt like the most Fast and Furious mo mo moment of the entire movie. Right. Because like the first one comes in and then two more come in. It's like they're replaying like the same track on the, you know, like the record, the record skip twice. Right. Like <laughs> it's like that's like that's a big Fast and Furious energy. Right. Like, you know, yes. Just like over the top stupidity pulls the fuck this fucking this is not how any of this works. Right. Like, you know, apparently if you're strong enough. The helicopter will go up, right? Like you just have to pull on the, the fucking joystick harder, and it'll just work. Yeah. Right? I, it's, like, it's like that isn't how traction on like wheels work, you know? Like I, I don't know. Th those thoughts were not in my brain at the time, but they are in my brain now. It's yeah, like that yeah. kind of thing. Um, I also quite like the McLaren chase. They do this whole chase scene in London where Shaw is driving a McLaren, um, and there's this great bit about how, um. You know, so obviously in England, you are on the right side. And so the rock is on like the left side and he's doing stuff. He's pulling out his gigantic, you know, revolver and shooting guys. He does a thing where he grabs a guy off of a bike and runs and they, he gets like smacked into a wall. There's a bunch of neat stuff there. The car stuff, um, I think is good, but not great. Mostly because there's moments of like CGI bullshit that I don't like, which is sort of the same thing that I was complaining about in four. Right. Um, to me, the thing that is the earmark of like truly great fast and furious stuff. And we're going to see some of this in F9. And I'm very excited to point out all of it because in F9, they, they work really hard to do these stunts practically, which is ridiculous. Um, uh, the, the, the moments where, you know, things are not real and, and it kind of gets into that CGI mess, uh, is always where the car stuff will lose me. Um, though I was a huge fan of the way that, uh, you know, um, they did the callback to sliding under the, you know, sliding under the, the trucks or whatever. That one was cgi but it was just sweet and it is a classic fast and furious move like the coolest stunt in the original movie is the street racer driving under the the you know the trailer for for <laughs> the tractor so, trailer i i pegged a different source of inspiration for the motorcycle sliding under the truck buddy have you ever seen the clip from that bollywood movie where someone like drifts a fucking horse under a truck that sounds ridiculous. I'm I, sure I, will, I have. I will see. Holy. I will see if I can find this. Uh, Bollywood. Uh, Bollywood horse slide. Yes. Uh, I, I will. I will post a link to this in the. Oh uh, wait. Yeah, I have absolutely seen this. I think I might have even seen now. See, this is, this is what I pegged as the inspiration for the fucking. 
for, for the, the fucking motorcycle slide, just because, like, I was like, yeah, I looked at it, and, like, that's the fucking horse slide. That's absolutely 100% the fucking horse slide right there. You know, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, what, what were we talking about? Uh... Oh, the the, the 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 car chases. There, there was too much CGI, or there was the, the car stuff was mediocre because of the CGI, essentially, right? Right. Um, yes. But yes. but I I do want to say that I I think that this movie, this movie doesn't like, even though I bag on some of the later movies for like not really being racing movies anymore, they care about the cars, and I don't think they care about the cars so much in this movie, which is why I want to call it more of like an action flick. Than a, than a Fast and Furious movie, right? Like, this is, like... Like, this could have this could have just been, like, Jason Statham and The Rock in any movie, right? Because because they have, like, these characters that they play, right? And, like, you know, this is The Rock doing his shtick and Jason Statham doing his shtick, right? Yeah. Um, and the fact they happen to be Hobbs and Shaw is not actually particularly material to the movie, right? Like, um, previously, right, like, they, um, like... In the last movie, right? They came up with a reason why they didn't call Paul Walker, right? Like, they were like, we promised to keep him out of it. And they, you know, granted, it was just lip service, but they did it, right? Yeah. Here, there's, like, you know, neither of them are like, should we call the rest of the crew, right? Like, this is a Fast and Furious movie. And, like, you know, like, I could see them coming up with an, like, you know, just have, like, fucking Ryan Reynolds' character being like, ah, oh, no, can't do, buddy, or something like that, right? Like, um, Yeah, it's also crazy to me that... The Rock is like, I work alone because he obviously doesn't. First of all, in the fifth movie, he has a whole cadre of guys, some of whom are named, one of whom is like an important lore character who shows up in later films, right? In the sixth movie, he shows up and joins the crew and fights right alongside Vin Diesel with no issue. In the seventh movie, he's so integral to the piece of, you know, the, like, I, it is nuts to me that he ever said, I work alone. It makes zero sense. <laughs> he obviously does not. Yeah. No, I mean, this, it's, it, like, I don't, I didn't, I didn't even think about that, but that's partially because, like, it's The Rock, like, you know, it's, it's The Rock being The Rock, right? Like, this is, yeah. like, I, I feel like there's, like, a 40-minute long, like, video essay to be made you know like folding ideas watch one of these guys like push up their fucking glass and explain to you how actually Hobbs and Shaw is a WWE match that they made into a movie or something like that because I feel like there's like something like that in here right like um you know they're they're, they're both like characters like WWE is where you get these kind of like non-contrasting characters fighting each other Right, like they're they're all and like you know the rocks being the the rockiest he has been since probably the WWE. Um, uh, Shaw is like a, a character in the, in this kind of mold where like he's like small and wiry, but he's still like a tough guy, right? Like, um, and it's and it's all about like the, you know, it, it, it's all about like the the storyline is there, but like ultimately it's about the hits, and I think that's kind of what what happens here, right? Like, yeah. oh, I, I the, the other thing I wanted to mention. The, about the contrasting stuff is that there's another good contrast here which is that the rock is a cop and shaw is a criminal oh yeah right they are fundamentally and and there is a bit of that in the sense of like the movie talks about how 
you know, Shaw is, and his sister were like engaged in doing, doing, pulling these heists even as their kids, right? The mom is in jail, all this stuff. Like the idea that like he is this accomplished criminal, I feel like, is the other sort of source of contrast, but that also never really goes anywhere. Um, and weirdly, that stuff sort of like lives with uh, some of the other characters, like with his sister or whatever. So it's not like there's this thing where, um, uh, Hobbes needs to come to terms with sort of the you know you can imagine a where a version of this where it's like the lawful good and chaotic neutral teaming up right, right or yeah. you can even say chaotic good right um, teaming up sort of thing right like that that also just doesn't factor in into here uh, which bums me out because yeah no you're you're absolutely right that that would be the way to go with this right is like yeah have have uh, the rock lean into being a cop more than anything else right because like that kind of worked in the last movie, right? Like, like they, they basically did that thing, right? Whereas, you know, the rocks, like, I'm not going to fucking like, you know, no cheat. I'm going to do this by the book. Right. And Jason Statham is like sitting opposite. He's like, Oh, big man. Blah, 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 right. And they have that fucking jail scene. Um, but like, you know, it's uh, like, they, they, they don't do anything with it. I think forgettable might be the best thing to describe this way to describe this movie, right? Like Idris Elba's character is kind of like whatever, right? Yep. Like, you know, um, I like, I had forgotten he was in this movie until like, obviously he popped on screen. And they're like, Oh, I remember, like, I remembered some of these ads. Like I remember the truck, the cars attached to the helicopter from the trailer. I remembered the two of them fighting side by side through the, that corridor from the trailer, which, by the way, was better in the trailer because they didn't have that fucking stupid moment where Jason Statham has to take like four minutes to figure out whose face to throw against the panel to, to get through the door. Like, um, and like, but like, and I remember Injusselba was in that was in the trailer, but like, he's just like so nothing, right? Like, this well, so I actually quite like Injusselba in this, just on like on a force of raw charisma, right? Um, but what I don't like is the way that he is sort of undercut by, you know, so they're working for like Encyon or some like weird corporation that is literally doing like mad scientist shit. And again, the Fast and Furious universe, right? Where granted there are secret government organizations who have infinite amount of money led by a guy named Mr. Nobody, right? Um, but like... I don't know. There's just like a level of realism to superpowers that shatters this illusion for me, right? Even if like we would all we would all sort of cognitively understand that the Fast and Furious crew theoretically have superpowers in terms of being able to to drive car good, right? Um I think I would say that the like the the universe doesn't think of that as a superpower basically yeah yes yeah. yes yeah, yeah yeah right like everything in the movies is like you know it's not accurate per se but like it's like something that doesn't seem like too out of bounds right like the worst thing in the movies, I, like the worst thing, like and when I say worst, I mean kind of like most far fetched thing in the movies is the kind of like world spanning network that lets you like pin anybody down, like that, that like, but it's also like kind of used sparingly. Whereas like, 
this is like pure sci-fi shit, right? Like, which is I mean, and they also reference it in the other movie where they show that it doesn't work, right? Yeah, you yeah. know, they use it in the next movie, and oh, someone has already figured out how to break that system. It doesn't work that way because you know it pings false IDs all over the all over the globe or something like that. You know, it's like. I don't know. There's just something about he ha he has literal superpowers that bugs the shit out of me. Uh, even though the line "I'm Black Superman" is great, and they were correct to use that in the in the trailer. Um, and like I said, I love that Is Idris Elba is in this. But the thing about like the director, his like relationship with this like enigmatic director, and the like sequel pitch that I guess we're never getting right. We're never getting this sequel apparently. Um, the sequel pitch of like, oh, the director is some mysterious guy from Hobbs's past or whatever. It's just like it totally undercuts Idris Elba as the like brutally efficient, super dangerous guy that they are that they are fighting against. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, this is a lot. Of, there's a lot here that's also just kind of like whatever, right? Like that end scene where like where. The director kills the decommissions Idris Elba. It's gonna stand there while he falls into the ocean and like don't appear to react to this. Like, yeah, I guess that's the way it goes, right? Like, which yep. is a little bit weird. Um Don't love that. I don't know. Also, like I So there's at the very end, there's this line where the rock says, I believe, something like, Here comes the kryptonite, which is a callback to the black Superman reference right this is like when he like pile drives him um at the end um i thought that was like a fun line like a fun one-liner but it didn't work in this movie because the tone's way off right like yeah like it need this needed like this, ne this needed someone more earnest right like um like it's this this i think would have worked as a vin diesel rock movie right like, right yes right ah. Uh. Yeah, like Shaw's just like the wrong person to play opposite. <laughs> At least for the yep. like, because the tone the tone of this movie is a lot less charming and a lot more kind of like a lot less earnest and a lot more edgy, right? Like this this feels like they tried to make a Nolan Batman movie or like you know John Wick. John Wick's the better comparison because it's the same director, right? Like they basically yep. made a John Wick movie in the Fast and Furious universe and. They tried to like sprinkle in some of that Fast and Furious tone and didn't quite land at different points, right? Like, I don't know. I think, like I said, I think the family theming, I think it works on its own merits, right? But it doesn't work the same way that like the Fast, the Fast and Furious family theming is supposed to work, right? Like, like the Fast and the Furious is about, it's not just about the family you, you have, it's about the family you choose. Yeah. Um, and about like building that for yourself. Whereas this movie is just kind of about the family you have and like, you know, we're, you know, making up with them and making amends with them, which is a fine enough message on its own, but it feels like they were trying to do the fast and the furious family thing. And they just missed the mark with like the version of it that they did. Um, again, like, I don't know. Maybe I mean like as a spinoff, it kind of works, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I feel that. I mean, my yeah, I do think family is like a is like an undercurrent here. Part of this, I think, is that it's unsupported, right? Um, you get a lot of these lines as sort of these throwaway dialogue, and it's almost even hard to parse 
Um, like I'm specifically thinking about with with Shaw and his sister, right? Like part of it is that I don't even remember this guy's name. It's like Briggs or something like that. Um, part of something like that. Brixton Hux. Brixton maybe. Yeah, Brixton would maybe be it. Anyway, um, is that he framed Shaw? They were both in like the same Black Ops unit or whatever, and then he framed Shaw. Um, and his sister like held a held a grudge against him for it or whatever. But I just feel like that that's like ultimately pretty unsupported, just kind of by the action of the the story. Um, and the stuff on Samoa at the end, which I do like that stuff. Um, just because I think it's neat. I think it's it's out there. Um, and and interesting in a way that, uh, you know, some Fast and Furious stuff isn't always. You know, it's you can you can get pretty deep into cars on on roads or whatever. So, you know, I liked a lot of the the kind of hacked together. It almost had like a Mad Max vibe to it in a weird way. Um, the way that these like cool cars were created. Um, all that stuff is happening on on American Samoa, and there's and there's setup for it. Um, but because like the real key character seems to be his daughter, The Rock isn't really doing a true like setup and payoff in until the end credits because his daughter isn't there right um so i don't know i think i think brixton lore by the way (laughs) brixton okay cool brixton Brixton. lore (laughs) name is lore really like l-o-r-e yeah brixton lore um also fun fact apparently uh uh what's it called Uh, roman reigns played one of the Rock's brothers, which is uh, yeah, I did know that because they're cousins, I think. Roman Are they Reigns really? And, uh, and and the Rock, yeah, I'm pretty sure, right? Uh, they they're from this like special wrestling family, um, like as in like a real like the Rock's fa- dad is also a guy. Oh, oh. Sure. huh, interesting. Or maybe oh, maybe it's a football thing. Maybe they're also football thing. So so Roman Reigns, um, fuck, I don't. How would I even know? Where would it even say? Is Roman Reigns related to The Rock? Uh, the pair don't share the same blood, but they belong to the same famous wrestling uh, NOI family and refer to each other as cousins. I butchered that pronunciation, by the way. Um, yeah, okay. okay. That, so it is what I thought. Yeah, he he is part. They are part of this wrestling dynasty or whatever that the rock is is in there um uh and a couple of and a couple of like others i don't know there's apparently this huge this huge thing i don't know the details of it um but other people i guess do the rock's grandfather was blood brothers with roman reigns and the usos grandfather so i guess they share a great grandfather okay wow weird yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, this movie did kind of make me want to go to American Samoa, so you know, there's that. Yeah. So I think that stuff is just The Rock, basically. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So the the he uh, he cares a lot about his uh, you know Pacific Islander heritage, um, and so I'm pretty sure he just muscled in and was like, "We're setting the whole fucking thing 
in the back half of this movie on American Samoa, which to be fair, I like I said, I like that part. Yeah. Um, I like a lot of this stuff. I also do like the drama you get in his backstory. I sort of wish this came in sooner, right? The idea that the reason that The Rock became a cop is because his dad was a, like a shitty criminal. He's like perfect, like simple, straightforward backstory for a guy like this. Um, and uh, I just kind of wish it was like... I don't know. It was like a deeper, a uh, bigger part of you know his um, like the great story, war. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like one of the things that they that they reference is how uh, when he goes back to American Samoa and he he hangs out with his brother Jonas, right? Um, it's they're entirely legit. They're not doing they're not doing crime anymore. And I kind of wish it was the opposite. I sort of wish that the the reconciliation that's happening there is he gets kicked out because he chose to become a police officer, but now that The Rock is coming to a, this understanding with, you know, chaotic aligned individuals, let's call them, um he can reconnect with his family who sort of ousted him for going down this like lawful route essentially i feel like that would have like held the movie together basically um yeah and you, you, uh, in you a would better... have a line where jason statham is like oh why did you tell me your family was so cool or something like that right like we're, we're like the you know jason statham basically implies that like he gets along better with his family than the rock does right because they're like both like, yeah petty criminals or whatever or you know which petty. is sort of the opposite of what yeah. happens with the sister because the sister is the opposite of that story with jason satham right she was yeah. a criminal who went straight became a law person or whatever um and that's like kind of the underpinning of like their you know their stuff uh it's funny that i like jason satham so much in this movie because i kind of don't like shaw all that much in the fast and furious sort of uh setup uh i don't i just don't like don't love his place in the in the story mostly because he fucking killed han killed han how does he go to the family barbecue it will forever boggle my mind but you know whatever they're trying to redeem him i guess and in in the trailer for fast x he has a moment uh that makes me like him so maybe okay. we're on the big the big shaw redemption arc that i'm that I'm i mean I, for. I i feel like, what arc it feels like they have like insta redeemed him like since like eight right it's like you know he cares about his brother and uh he wasn't actually evil he did a thing because family family right like this is you know you did the bad thing for family therefore there there everything is forgiven forever right like you know i feel yeah, like it's rough that it is one movie later and there is no like shaw is the straight up bad guy in right. fury seven at least with the rock part of the turn in Fast Five, is that halfway through the movie, the they get the Rock on on their side. They team up with the Rock in order to take down. Uh, I almost said Bolsonaro. Holy shit! Whatever the guy's name is, I can't fucking remember. Yeah, the the drug lord guy. Yeah, yeah, the drug lord, the drug lord guy. Um, so like you at least get it how in the sixth movie, the the Rock kind of joins the team a little bit more directly. Um, because you know, in the, in even inside of the movie where he was a villain, he sort of has like a, this like cute turn at the end. He, that doesn't happen with Shaw. There is no cute turn at the end. They face off, and then Vin Diesel crushes him with a parking garage, basically. And it's just like, oh, it, yep. In the next movie, I've hired you some help. 
and then boom, there he is. Wah! Everyone, you know, it's just like it's it's a little too quick. The redemption arc in, in, that I'm referencing, though, is that over the next couple of movies, I'm getting more and more acclimated to Shaw being part of the team. I'm less and less pissed off about it. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's a thing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, like. I feel like he's. I feel like he's like not quite the right character for the series, right? It's like you dropped like, you know, like an action hero into the middle of this like, but action hero attitudinally, right? Like this would be like if you know, um, you brought in Liam Neeson to play his character from Taken, just like straight into the movie, right? <laughs> like it'd be like, I kind of see it. He cares about his family too, very clearly. Right, but like, it's not like it's not the right attitude for this movie, right? Like, and I feel like Jason Statham has that problem, although I guess, you know, not a not a real problem. I don't know. You know, my, honestly, I think part of my thing is that he has the perfect setup to drive these elegant English sports cars, yeah, and that's, that's just like a thing. That you can, because you know you have the diesel. You obviously have American muscle cars, right? Um, who else, who else has a type? Giselle drives the, the motorcycles. Brian is driving Japanese imports. Um, uh, Han also drives Japanese imports, obviously, right? Um, you know, Roman is the tech guy, or no, not Roman. Uh, Tej is the is like the tech guy. Roman, what does Roman like to drive? Roman likes to drive like the really flashy cars, right? Yeah, like yeah. He, he, like he drives. He, he drives the ostentatious cars. Uh, that uh, you know what I mean. And so you now you have a guy who will drive an Aston Martin, right, or a Jaguar, or like you know a McLaren. Obviously, yeah, um, the problem is, is this should have been his brother, right? Like, like yeah. he's like, I like I he's. I guess Luke Evans just is not as much of a like leading man draw. Yeah, yeah. As, I guess you know, <laughs> Jason Statham. Um, oh man, I do. I will also say one more thing that I appreciate, which is, um, when the fights, Jason Statham, Statham, I think is a very good action star in terms of he can execute on these fights in, you know, in a good way. I don't know that Luke Evans could do that. Right. You know, um, just because he doesn't necessarily have the same sort of level of traps. Right. So something I'm thinking about, for instance, is the fight where he goes to his sister's um apartment and he gets ambushed by like those special forces guys and he's just like beating the shit out of them like the part of what i praised about this movie are those choreographed fight scenes um and i think those are only satisfying when um you have a capable actor in in the role right maybe luke evans is not that guy right right but i mean like you know have daniel craig play basically james bond fast and furious edition right to do it right like that's that's what i mean right like you want like you want that spy kind of attitude. God, could you imagine? Yeah. Could you fucking imagine? So, Lou in the chat says, "I would watch so Liam cool. drive a fast car and ruin all the vibe of the franchise." Grandpa of the family. Um, honestly, that's kind of like Liam Neeson plays the father of Vin Diesel and John Cena, and you have a flashback <laughs> to Vin Diesel and Liam Neeson working Wrestling. on uh, his fucking muscle car. That would be that would be amazing. Also, Lou in the chat says, how dare you? Luke Evans is amazing. Look, I'm not trying to get on Luke Evans' case. I love Luke Evans, okay? Listen, I love Luke Evans from the Hobbit movies, which is a dangerously 
bad take that I think a lot of people would get mad about or whatever. I, I am fully in, in camp Luke Evans. What I, what I am doubting is whether or not Luke Evans can perform the kinds of high-level action choreography that's sort of demanded of this movie. Because to be honest, even The Rock, I don't think, does it. I think the good fights are Jason Statham fights, right? Um, part of this is that The Rock has weird stuff. This is like a famous thing um, that in in his movies, The Rock um, uh, has like he has like special rules about like how you can write him in a fight scene, uh, which I think are really bad. I think it's that he can't like The Rock can't take a punch or something like that. Um, like, am I right about that? I, uh, I feel like he took a punch in this movie. Like, okay, okay. The uh the rock has limits the number of punches he can take in his contract and like it, and it limits how badly he can be beaten up on stream. Though, to be fair, Jason Statham also apparently has the same thing. Jason Statham, The Rock, and Vin Diesel all can't lose fights. They're contractually obligated to not lose any fights, which to be fair, I think that sucks really bad. I think that sucks real bad. Um, yeah, no, actually, right? Like, you need, to, like, especially having three of them in one movie, right? Like, that's, that, that's rough. And especially what I think of as being good in, like, specifically the John Wick movies is, like, how much it makes it better that Keanu Reeves gets fucked up. I'm like, oh, man, I want to talk about John Wick 4. You haven't seen it, right? No. Because we've been uh, watching these fucking movies for three months. we've been watching these fucking movies for three months through. <laughs> yeah, in John Wick, John Wick 4 is maybe one of the greatest counterexamples to this principle, right? Because he gets fucked up in that movie. I mean, even in John Wick 1, he gets, he gets fucked up. He gets so insanely fucked up in John Wick 1 and two and even three all of these movies are about keanu reeves getting like super fucked up so the idea that yeah you're not allowed to lose any fights um uh with uh with the rock is is kind of like weird and it makes you feel like you know like something i've complained about in the past when it comes to marvel movies and marvel movies it's because they're using cgi to do this but the the feeling of fighting inflatable arm flailing tube mans do you know what i mean yeah just yeah. like fighting ghosts you're not actually punching anything this is my complaint about marvel cinematography compared to cinematography from Zack snyder's superhero movies Zack snyder's movies are all about that impact right when superman lands a punch it sends this shock wave right and the damage and destruction that shows up in batman vs superman and man of steel is a reaction to how hard these guys are hitting each other and how much damage is being done, right? Um, whereas in something like Avengers, you'll have Thor, who is just as strong as Superman, hit a guy with, you know, with his hammer, and it feels like I'm watching somebody like, you know, it, it feels like he's getting hit with like sock and boppers. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it just has no impact. It has no force. Um, and it's because, you know, it feels like they're uh, basically they're these are cgi bad guys who you don't have to show that stuff on so you don't kind of thing um they have their manly man images to to keep up toxic bullshit keanu is above that true i also just think i i just it's better it makes these movies better i don't know like 
even outside of the personal like look or image or appeal of any of these characters and how um uh and how this stuff like looks and works when it is tough and when they lose fights <laughs> is when they it is satisfying to see them kind of triumph and overcome right um so Yeah, we all love an underdog and a comeback story. It, it, this is exactly the point, right? Like the typical, like most stories are constructed this way. There is a protagonist who is weak. He undergoes a character arc. You know, he has some, he has some need he needs to fill. He fills this need. He grows and changes and he becomes more powerful than the villain. The villain who stays static, who doesn't grow or change, right? Starts the story being powerful, but because he is rigid and refuses to change or grow, right, he gets defeated by the hero in the end. This is why in Aquaman, when Aquaman fights Orm in the beginning of the movie, he explicitly loses and has to get bailed out by Mira in order to not be fucking killed in the ring of fire. And it is only when he undergoes his character arc, he comes back with a super cool trident that he can 1v1 Orm and actually win the second time. The same thing happens in Black Panther, right? Killmonger 1v1s Chadwick Boseman, right? I can't remember his name, fucking T'Challa. 1v1s T'Challa, throws him off of a cliff or whatever, and T'Challa needs to, you know, uh, sort of deal with his own relationship with his with his father and the complicated feelings therein that growth is what allows him to beat killmonger in the end um i that stuff is just nowhere in any of these in any of these fights it feels yeah. like uh even with the fights that they technically lose with uh brixton those are they, they don't feel like losses in in the same way right because it's like they're running from brixton and they know they can't beat him but nobody says that or it's not really like demonstrated all that clearly but they just do away with him temporarily such that they can then continue on doing whatever right in the mclaren thing in the streets of london you know jason satham pulls that move where um which to be fair is very cool because it's, and I don't know that it's a callback, but Owen Shaw pulls the same move in Furious 6. Anyway, um, where, or Fast and Furious 6, where he goes, he, they're being chased by the motorcycle, and he he shoots himself right in front of the motorcycle on the other side of a bus. And so the, the Brixton doesn't know he's doing that turn, and he ramps off of the fucking McLaren and into some other bus double, double or whatever. Bus, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like that. Th these are the ways that they are able to defeat Brixton by sort of delaying him because the implicit set of circumstances is that they cannot beat him in a 1v1, right? Um, and then the only way they beat him at the end is in the 2v2 where they're working together and they're like, oh, he can only do his analytical bullshit on one of us at a time. So I'll take a punch so that you can land one is like the line that they use. Yeah, yeah. I take a punch for you, brother, or something like that. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, also, my apologies to people at home. My microphone went out for some reason. I will have to examine that. But um, uh, the thing I was going to say is, like, these movies kind of work because they don't actually get into that many fistfights, right? Because it is a car movie, right? Like, yeah, it's car v. car. Yeah. Vin Diesel is presumably allowed to lose car stuff, right? Like, because it's not him dying. Although, 
now that I think about it, like, is the implication that, like, he's never actually lost a car race? He just, like, lets Paul Walker win some of them? Is that is that what's, is that what's well, happening? Well, so that, that is an open question. He lets Paul right. Walker win one race because he knows that um, Brian is about to be a dad. Uh, right. And he, and he goes easy on him. That's it. I think that's in Fast Five, right? Um but yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. like, because they're not fighting as much, right? It's not as big, a, like, it doesn't feel as weird that they can't lose fights. They can lose other things, right? Like, you yeah. know, um, and also the cast is big enough that somebody can lose, right? Like, you know, for all of this being like, you know, Vin Diesel's series, this was like Paul Walker up until the passes, right? He is like the main character of the series, right? He is the point of view character, um, which is maybe the, the, the more correct term. Right, he, he's he, he's the person you're supposed to... Like, he's the Luke Skywalker to yep. Vin Diesel's uh, Han Solo, maybe? Is that right? Do you think that's right? I guess so. I don't know. It's hard to... It's hard to, to they're, I kind of feel like they're both simultaneously Lancers. Because, like, Vin Diesel is the one who cares about family, right? Which, like, that doesn't... That's, like, the opposite of Han Solo. Yeah. Han Solo, you know what I mean? Yeah, but, like... I don't like so I think you're right in 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 that sense and maybe the 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 things don't just draw one to one but like I feel like like I think feel like Paul Walker is definitely the you know the the protagonist and Vin Diesel is the lancer in that in as that kind of relationship goes um you know I mean, it's I think it's definitely true in the first movie and I think maybe it gets less true as the series goes on but like yeah um, it's, yeah, okay, I would agree. Well, man, I don't know. It's because mm, that's really tough. Maybe it just doesn't map well at all. Yeah. Like having having kind of like a frontman Lancer relationship. Um, because like the Lancer is typically like, like, like a foil. And I do think that Vin Diesel and Paul Walker are foils for one another in these movies. But like, you know, normally, I guess you, I don't know. There's like a certain alo- level of aloofness that comes with being the Lancer, I feel like, typically, right? Yeah. Um, you know, like Goku, to use another version of this, Goku is the family man and the one who cares about friendship and family, right? Vegeta is the one who cares about winning and beating fights and being and being the best or whatever, right? Um and that's not really a relationship that that Brian and yeah, I don't know. I also um, think have... that like I don't know, maybe I'm 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 fighting the the hypothetical too much, but I think that like I don't know. I I only know Dragon Ball through like memes, and the meme is that like Goku's a terrible father, and Vegeta is actually the the better father. Um, yeah, but that's true. <laughs> that is real. But you know, in in like the story universe, right? right yeah, the yeah. idea is that yeah. If we were to actually, you know, part, like part of part of what makes I don't know, this is a Dragon Ball tangent I get. Part of what makes Vegeta such a compelling character is that you know that the thing he cares about most of all is winning and fighting. Um, but the moments of true love he has for his children, Trunks specifically, um, but also Bulma, you know, his wife. Um, those moments shining through are so much more meaningful. Do you know what I mean? Right? Yeah. When Vegeta is fighting, th- this is the famous one. Vegeta fights Majin Buu, um, and Trunks is there, and he realizes that he that 
he Boo is not going to stop, right? Boo is going to destroy the world, and his son is right there. And Trunks wants to help out. And to be fair, Trunks has helped out in the past, right? Trunks is like a capable fighter. It's just he's also a child or whatever. Um, that's the moment for Vegeta when it clicks, and all of a sudden his motivation goes from I want to defeat the bad guy because he is the bad guy and I want to be stronger than him to I want to defeat the bad guy because I need to save this world so my son doesn't die, right? And he knocks Trunks out and stops Trunks from helping and then kills himself because he thinks that if he essentially supernovas all of his chi, he can annihilate Boo entirely or whatever. It's a very meaningful sacrifice in the in the, in like the story or whatever. And that's only possible because Vegeta is the Lancer who normally is, you know, unconcerned, less concerned with family than than Goku is um yeah I so I I think I think maybe the thing I'm pointing to here which maybe isn't quite like protagonist Lancer relationship is like you know <laughs> Paul Walker is the character that needs to typically what is Paul what was Brian right Brian's the character's name yeah yeah Brian needs to grow into being you know he needs to not quite come of age, but like grow into the person that grow into the hero that the story needs him to be. Whereas, um, Vin Diesel's kind of already there. Um, and generally this kind of framing is like the, the, the kid, right? Like, um, it's not necessarily a child, just kind of like the, the younger, less experienced member needs to grow and surpass the kind of like senior partner who is like typically the Lancer, but like, you know, this is like Luke is less capable than Han initially, but grows to be greater than Han, right? Like, um, uh, what's, what's another example of this? Like, um, like I, I think, I think that is part of where the Fast and the Furious is going where Brian, but like then, you know, the, this kind of like Vin Diesel kind of takes over as like more of a deuteragonist, um, or you know, primary protagonist by the end of it, and so like, like because like Brian has things to gain, and Vin Diesel mostly just has stuff to lose. Um, there's something here that I'm I'm not quite describing right, but um, I think I th I think it's a, a big part of it. Um, but you know, um, I'm still waiting for them to bring back uh, what whatever the character's name is from Tokyo Drift. I want him to have like a Han? real part. Hmm? <laughs> Not Han. Yeah, Sean. Oh no, no, Sean. Sean, 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 Sean. I thought you said yeah. Han. Is the uh, name of, is the name of the kid. Uh, yeah, Sean. I'm waiting for Sean to have like a real part in any of these movies. Um, but I, I just, I guess it's not gonna happen. I would be pumped if, if, uh, if, uh, uh, if he was back in Fast X, but you know, I feel like that's uh unlikely. There are so many people in Fast X. Uh, I don't think that they're... I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong. I don't think that there's room for uh, for Sean. <laughs> God, that would be crazy. Could you imagine? Yeah, I mean, I feel like they, they should give him a, a, a cameo at least. Uh, yeah. Wait, he's in anyway, Fast is there 9? anything else you want to... Uh, do, do you want me to answer that question? I mean, I, I, I went to Lucas Black's IMDb page, and he says, it says Fast 9, the Fast Saga, so. <laughs> yeah, he is, in, he is in Fast 9. <laughs> I don't want to know any details, but, you know. Okay. 
yeah. Him him showing up in Fast Nine was was a was a highlight of my of my viewing experience. Orion is uh Hello, hello little boy. Hi. Like, yeah, oh, are you hungry? This is yeah, this is what this is what we're looking for. If you're hearing any bumps in my microphone, it's it's him. All right, so anyway. We probably. I feel like that's that's enough. I I don't have much more to talk about. I'm yeah, I was gonna say. I, I feel like we were maybe like at enough about the actual movie twenty minutes ago. Uh, yeah, for real, for real. This is my thing. The Rock doesn't understand this movie franchise. I think it's actually pretty good that he's out of it. Even though you know Vin Diesel wants Hobbs to come back, I hope he doesn't. I feel like he would ruin it if. I I think I think Hobbs works as the character that he kind of is in like some of these later movies where he's just kind of like a secondary background thing, which I don't know if the rock is capable of like putting aside his ego enough to like, yeah, let that happen. But I think like him as like a minor character works, right? Like, um, I don't know if, but I, I think I agree with you, right? Like, I think this might be my least favorite of these movies, right? Like, um, really? Wow. It's just, okay. Yeah. This is like, this is like you, the way you talk about something, you know, like, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, you know, like ambition versus like execution, right? Like, yeah. And this movie just feels like the most bleh, right? Like, at least when the other movies are bad, they're being bad in a fun way, and this is just kind of like mediocre, right? Like, I, I think it yeah. is worse than an objective view, like a more objective viewing of it would it would indicate. Um, because... yeah, like a truly bad movie is not a, like this is part of my thing. The thing that makes a movie bad is being forgettable, and that's a word you use, right? Like, yeah, nobody remembers bad movies because they just fall out of your brain. Even something like a Michael Bay Transformers movie is at least good enough to stick there. And um, you know, yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. I feel like, um, as much as I like the fight scenes, uh, it is pretty forgettable, and it is maybe I don't know. I also really hate the fourth movie, like Fast and Furious. Um, uh. So it's definitely competing with that one at four bottom slot um, for me, but uh, yeah, I, I, think, I don't know. I think yeah. part of this too is like, this is like also my take on The Last Jedi, is that like, this movie claims to be a Fast and the Furious movie, but it isn't, right? Like, and that, that, that yeah. maybe aggravates me more than like, if this had been like, you know, <laughs> The Rock and Jason Statham fight just Elba in like, you know, generic action movie. Um, yep. uh, so yeah. But that all being said, how was your week? Pretty good. I mean, what did I do this week? I I've been playing a lot of Hearthstone. Been playing a lot of I like I'm I'm trying to like clip off some of these things because I know I want to get back into WoW hard for season two, which starts today. Um, we're we're going into the new raid right after this podcast. Um. So yeah, I I guess I have been playing a lot of Hearthstone. This is a weirdly really good Hearthstone meta. Uh, ten classes are viable, including Warrior. Um, I had a pretty fun Warrior deck that I was really excited about. Uh, I was like, it, the, the the thing for Warrior for control right now is mostly just that the first two turn or the first three turns you don't have a lot to do, right? Your good cards are like four fives and sixes, right? And that's good, but it means because there's good stuff to do. But it means you just give up the entire early game, basically, right? Um, you just have nothing nothing to do. Um, you're just hero power pass. And there have been versions of Warrior Control Warrior that can come back from that. Uh, but this is not this is not one of those versions of Control Warrior. 
Uh, and so what I did was I made a pretty controversial change and I started running a different package for weapons. Uh, what a lot of people are doing is using a weapon called Kodohide Drums that every time it you gain armor, um, it gets more powerful and it has this death rattle that says deal one damage to all enemy minions. But if you gain a bunch of armor, you could deal six damage to all minions, that kind of a thing. There's another weapon called the Sunken Trident or the Trident of the Deep or something like that. It's a three mana, three, two weapon. Um, and when that weapon breaks, it puts another weapon on the bottom of your library that whenever you attack, it deals two damage to all enemy minions, right? So it has this like AOE clearing your board effect. And basically the gamble that I was willing to say was Trident is better than Drum Kit, right? Um, the drum kit is a four mana three, two. This is a three mana three, two. Um, and there's pretty good ways right now to sort of tutor it out of your deck, pull it, pull it out of your deck in order to, um, to use it and activate it. And I had really good success. I went on a seven game winning streak and I was feeling really good about the deck. And then I was kind of hovering at about 50% win rate. And then I had this brutal, torturous 12 game losing streak. Where I was just, it was an hour and a half of just straight losses. Um, and I was just like, man, Control Warrior is just not there. And it is, and it is unfun. Uh, but there's another Warrior deck that is playing out in a good way. Uh, Menagerie Warrior, which has bothered me because it should be called Zoo Warrior. Um, this is a really aggressive tech that is all about playing cards of different minion types, right? So it's playing undead, elemental, murloc, you know, just all, <laughs> all these different minion types because there's a couple of payoffs in Warrior to doing that. Um, one of which, you know, duplicates a card in your hand, one from each minion type. So if you have a beast, an undead, a murloc, and an elemental, you will get copies of one of each. Um, and then there's another card that's a lot of fun. I love this card. It's called the One Amalgam Band. Um, which is all creature types. And when it comes into play, it gains uh, one of the evergreen keywords like rush, taunt, um, divine shield, all of those, right? There's eight in total. Um, it gets one of each of those for each minion type you've played so far this game, right? It is an insanely cool and powerful finisher. And the secret tech is one of those abilities is stealth. Right, So if you can get the one amalgam band all the way up to eight, and you can get stealth, wind fury, basically just stealth and wind fury, but there's a couple of other ones, right? Um, and you can get stealth and wind fury, that is your game ending play, basically. You, you land a one amalgam band, you don't attack with it, you let it keep its stealth, right? And then you open next turn, bam, bam, you know, it's a six, six. So 12 damage to the dome, typically, you know, like wins you these, these games. <laughs> to be honest, this is really different for me. I don't like aggressive decks, typically. I think aggressive decks are not a lot of fun to play. Um, any time of any kind of deck where I run out of gas, I fucking hate that feeling, right? The feeling of, oh, I emptied my entire hand on the board, they use an AoE, and now I have a one-mana one-one in my hand, right? That's, like, so unfun to me. Um, but there's actually quite a lot of reload in this deck, um, which is cool and interesting. Uh, and there's just like a lot of really neat, you know, compelling ways to set up these sorts of lethals. And I like the decision-making that kind of goes around, um, some of that stuff, right? Uh, one of the things that's neat about the one amalgam band is that there are effects that will allow you to discover 
one amalgam bands, right? Um, and there is a quillbore creature type. So if you use a discover effect on a quillbore, there's only five quillbore in the game. So you are guaranteed a 60% chance to discover a one amalgam band if you can nail excuse me if you can if you can nail that discover effect and it's like that is a lot of fun um so yeah that's been harson oh i've also been playing another deck called spooky mage um where you're generating these things these these skeletons um these uh these two mana two twos that have death rattle deal two damage to a random enemy it's based off, funnily enough it's actually based off of the Kel'Thuzad fight do you remember Kel'Thuzad in sanctum of domination um how he would summon those skeletons and the skeletons would run towards people yeah and yeah, yeah and they would like blow up yeah, it is those right it is those skeletons those are volatile skeletons this is the hearthstone card version of them but there's a bunch of cards that will create heart uh, skeleton volatile skeleton tokens um and there's this just like aggressive burn mage package that's just like really fun to play with those skeletons because you're doing stuff about like you're kind of high rolling about like oh i'm gonna attack in with my skeleton i'm going to you know have my skeleton um uh i'm gonna attack in with my skeleton and, and see if the two damage goes face or it clears another creature um <laughs> there's a card called deathborn which deals two damage to all creatures and summons a skeleton for each one that, that you kill so what you do is you set up these these intricate boards where there are seven creatures on the board and they all have two or less health right and then you deathborn and now you have a big swarm of skeletons to like to get on them um i beat a blood death knight because um i just kept summoning skeletons i summoned a whole board of skeletons and then he essentially armored up and played a bunch of taunts right because the expectation would be well you run your skeleton in these taunts but i didn't do that i just played deathborn again and i killed all of my skeletons each one is dealing two damage to you know you know pew, 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 and then it summons a full board of skeletons again it's just like that's that stuff is super satisfying uh, <laughs> um there's one other deck i was going to talk about but i can't remember what it was all right, fair enough. So there we go. That's my Hearthstone experience. Been playing a lot of it. What 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 are some of the things that you've been playing? And yeah, talking about? so I have not been playing a ton recently, just because of various other life commitments. I've been playing a bunch of Marvel Snap just because it's on my phone. It's fun to play. Um, they have they have finally gotten to the point where they can do like weekly updates, and so they're doing various little balance updates, which I've been enjoying. Um, you know. Today I had a win where, um, essentially, so a very popular card is Wong. Wong says that any on reveal played here, um, you know, fires twice, right? So I had a very, very satisfying win where, going into the turn, he had a Wong down and he was clearly gearing up for something. I had first turn, so I threw down a Cosmo. Cosmo prevents on reveals from happening, and so he plays a bunch of cards which don't like. And these are cards that, like, really rely on their on-reveal effects to do something, and it's just so satisfying. And then he immediately retreated. So, you know, that felt super good. Um, I think he snapped into it, too. I think he snapped, threw down Wong, and then I threw down Cosmo, and he retreated. And that always feels great. It feels great to, like, just be like, fuck you. Um, there are moments where, like, things feel, like, really fucked. Just, like, and this is not super common. So it's not a deal-breaker, but, like, sometimes RNG screws you, right? Like, um... Like, again, this is like a dude throws down, gets a Wong down, right? 
and it's on a space that, like, um, he throws a Wong down because the first space is Elysium, which makes things cost less, and the second space is, like, play a random card on turn three for each player. And so he, like, he plays the Wong in that space, and the random card that pops out is, like, this guy who is a... I forget what his cost, but he, he's got 10 power, but his the trade-off is, is that in the right space, it generates a a minus 10 um card right like it's like a you know it's the minus 10 power and so he it's on the long space and it generates him two minus 10 voids in the right square and so that space is at like negative 24 and it's like not recoverable and he wasn't like winning well enough in any of the other squares um i will say that that's kind of like some of my most aggravating losses that's like x-men academy and um I think something like that is fair game because it's like, well, you took the risk by setting up a Wong in that slot. Um, but um, something like X-Men Academy is it plays a random card for each side, but like it doesn't like they're not necessarily like even like I I would be happier if it was like of the same like cost. Right. Because like normally I would have gotten the worst end of that exchange because he played that card, which is like a 410. I got a one, two. Right. Like um, and that always it, it always sucks to like get like get like a bad bad rng but in a way that's like not like doesn't even feel like it's like vaguely balanced right like you know you know it's like oh it rolled like a three cost and you got the bad three cost and i got the good three cost for like your deck you know yeah that sucks but it feels okay but like to like somebody rolls like a, a five or six cost card you roll like a one or two costs like that feels like bullshit um but you know it's not enough to make me stop the game um otherwise outside of video games um i went to dollywood on sunday which was like um uh, i was down in knoxville for uh uh unrelated reasons uh uh my, my girlfriend's brother graduated from veterinary college um uh so but to celebrate we went to um uh we went to dollywood which was an interesting experience um a lot less dolly parton themed than i would have expected for dollywood um, like Dolly's tour bus was there, and so we we went on that. Like we we got to see that, but like there was like ambient music playing a point, and it wasn't all Dolly Parton music. I'm like what the what the hell? But it was like otherwise, it's just it's like a nice, a very nice amusement park, right? I, I it's like less expansive than like a Disney, but it's like also much more reasonably reasonably priced than a Disney, right? Like, um, and it was a lot of fun. And I would go back and I'd recommend it to anybody in the Knoxville area of Tennessee. Um, or in the Smoky Mountains area, I guess, of Tennessee or North Carolina. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know if I would fly out there specifically to go to Dollywood, but I could think of worst ways to spend my time. Um, yeah. Knoxville was a pleasant little town, which... Uh, pleasant little city. I should be more proper about it, which I wasn't quite expecting. Um, but, you know, cool place. I weirdly have a bunch of friends over there. I have a bunch of friends who live in Kentucky. Um, people I <laughs> people I work with um, who are in that sort of like neck of the woods. My my sister went to, to college there. She went to college in Asheville, which is in North, North Carolina. Carolina. I, guess. I would say like yeah. Yeah, Asheville is is relatively close to like you know it's across the Smoky Mountains or like the, I think it's yeah. the Appalachians. But like um, uh, I would say like Kentucky's all the way on Kentucky's far away. Is Kentucky far away? Oh, oh no, no, it's it's to the north. I just, you know, I guess I guess I don't think of it as like being in there because it's like um, they're both kind of like, 
mid south. <laughs> oh, I guess I guess like they're the middle of the state, Asheville and. Uh, yeah. I think of I think of them as as being the this you know kind of confluence of Great Smoky, the, the Smoky Mountains. Yeah, that's fair. Eastern Kentucky, Eastern Nashville, Western Eastern Tennessee. Um, yeah, Eastern Tennessee, Western uh, North Carolina, you know, Virginia, West Virginia, that kind of yeah, that, that kind of whole. Okay, I buy that. I buy that. Um, yeah, no- wow, Knoxville is literally right in the middle of it. Uh, the the middle of the north south middle is quite far on the east yeah. edge of uh, 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 of of the state. Um, you know, always also always like I'm. Uh, it's always fun to f- fly out of tiny little airports. Knoxville's airport is like, I mean, it's not like terribly small. But it's like twelve terminals or twelve twelve gates rather. Um, yeah, one wow. terminal, um, which means the only direct flight I could get was on Allegiant, which is not great, but you know. Um, what is, what is Allegiant? Allegiant's a Allegiant is a budget-ish airline. I like like it's no, it's like all economy class, but it's like not quite as like. Not quite as like economy level as like Spirit or Frontier. I'd put it more like kind of like in the JetBlue tier, maybe. Um, okay, fair enough. Right, like the big three, um, the big three are United, American, and Delta. We took Delta back just because Allegiant doesn't fly a flight on Sunday or on Mondays back from, uh, uh, back from uh, Knoxville. So we had to go from Knoxville to Atlanta, and then north to to to, to Logan and Boston, which was aggravating. Um, Lou says I thought Tulsa was small at twenty gates. Um, you know th- these kind of like small region, smallish regional airports are like uh, fun and important, I guess, right? Like, um, India I think is close. To, is like like twenty or thirty, right? Like I remember the first year we went, to, we we went as a group to Gen Con. We couldn't get a direct flight to India. We had to go through Chicago, um, or at least most of us did. Um, actually. That first year, or that one year, we we all flew into Chicago and drove from Chicago to avoid yep. transferring. Um, but yeah. Um, anything else interesting I consumed? Um, I don't I don't really think I like I started. What do you think of the new patch? I I put I put a couple hours into it. I have so I haven't done any of like the story stuff like that. Um. Have you have you done story stuff? I did finally, by the way, get into Tears Vault and see the 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 um, the elemental proto dragons, and I absolutely agree with you that one hundred percent. That's my my theory is that Tear created the primal incarnates. Yeah. Um. So I have done a little bit of the story stuff. I haven't gotten all the way through it. Um. Uh. The the thing that is amusing me the most is that there's this race of mole people that are like. Like like operate primarily by smell, but they all have like very thick Minnesota accents, and it's like it 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 is sending me right. It's just like and underneath and underneath the Dragon Isles is Minnesota, um like subterranean Minnesota, and it's, <laughs> it's just uh it's it is it is it is so funny to me. Um, they might be my 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 new they might be my second favorite race now behind the Hosen. Um, I don't actually even know what they're called. Um, Niffin, I think. Niffin, yes, that is correct. Uh, we found. Yeah. Lou says in the chat we found race people. Yes. Um, 
We should, yeah, we, should ask, we should ask Ray if she feels represented now that uh, <laughs> that that, that uh, the Minnesotan moles are in. Uh... Yeah, I'm definitely very like interested in where the story is sort of going next when it comes to Dragonflight. Um, I, I had a similar feeling in Shadowlands, right, where it was unclear um, where where things were happening. I guess theoretically we're gonna see the Starkareth cutscene. Um, or I don't know. I I didn't spoil myself on the Razageth one. I probably am not going to do that for Sarkareth. Um, and hope to you know get a Sarkareth kill relatively you know like soon on on kind of my own time or whatever. But uh, seeing where you know it's always like the end of the raid is where is where we go next kind of thing. Um, we also know there's a Mega Dungeon coming out. The ten point one point five is on the PTR, um, which is going to have the new the new Mega Dungeon. My my bet for the Mega Dungeon, is that it is going to be in Veldrassis, in that, like, time vault. You know you know that area where, like, you freeze the infinite dragon? Oh, yeah, that yeah, That is yeah. definitely the, the infinite dragonflight version of Chromie, by the way. It's my, my new thing, is that, I think his name is Eternus. Eternus is the infinite dragon version of Chromie, and uh, I think the the mega dungeon is going to be behind there because it just looks like a dungeon entrance that little spot in the in the world um and i bet it's gonna have to deal with like chromie and nose door moon all that stuff um i could buy that um that's my that's my my fan theory <laughs> tinfoil uh, hat yeah you know i never did the uh the mega dungeon in shadowlands like not even once you never did tazavish no um, oh my god, I, I mean, loved Tazavesh. No, I mean, it was just one of those things where, like, I didn't care enough to, like, get together and, like, get into a group and do it, so, like, and, like, I couldn't really do it, and, like, by the time it was, like, group doable and, like, the halves, um, I just didn't, I was just, like, doing raids at that point, raids and, like, yeah. world content, um, I'm very excited for the new upgrade system. Uh, you know, they did a big revamp to how item upgrades work, but one of the big things, you know, one of the big changes that's happening uh, that I think is cool is you can now upgrade um, like raid gear yeah. all the way, you know, like all the way up, basically. Yeah. Which I think is really sweet, right? Being able to get heroic gear and upgrade it into something that's like really powerful rather than having it kind of be outmoded, which is sort of what happens a lot of the time, I feel like. You know, we the the heroic gear is is very static and we have to like I I, I was kind of sort of talking about this before, right? Like how you need a certain amount of outgearing the raid in order to clear the raid. Um and, like, if you're not willing to do Mythic Plus, you just kind of can't do it. Um, but now I feel like it's going to be the opposite, um, where clearing the raid is going to be a really efficient way for people to uh, upgrade. And over time, you know, even for someone who isn't getting new drops, getting those, whatever they're called. Breasts. Like, dragon breasts flight stones. And, and flight stones is going to be is going to be pretty huge, yeah. Yeah, Um, I'm interested to see how that works out ultimately, because my immediate kind of reaction was, like, like, because they, they're like, oh, you could do world content, too, right? And get get these upgrade gears. But, like, you can only kind of get, like, you can only easily get the first tier of upgrades, which I think were basically, all, like, even me, who doesn't, like, really do Mythic Pluses, has already out-leveled that kind of, like, base level of yeah. of, of gears. Or, so, um, always excited for new Mog to, to, to catch, but, you know, it's, uh, it is what it is. Um, you only get to 424. You only get to 424 with world shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah interestingly enough uh 
this is also, I guess, news is I'm going to be playing in a uh, in a Warcraft set D and D game. Um, I what am I? Do you know about Mazinar Cliffgrove, Mountaineer of Kazmodan? Uh, I mean, the second part of that title feels like it explains the first part, but yeah. So I have this character, Mazinar Cliffgrove, who is um, Mazinar is a dwarf hunter. He's like a dwarf marksmanship hunter. Um, and he has this backstory where um, he was part of a dwarven tank crew um, that was in Lordaeron during the time of the Third War when Arthas shows up and sort of he is he is working for the Scourge now. He kills his father, right? Plunges Lordaeron into kind of the chaos of uh, the undeath. Um, and so th the backstory for Masnar is that he's in this dwarven tank crew and these dwarves need to drive their tank all the way south from Lord Aran back to Kazmodan where they're, where they're safe. Right. Um, I was talking about this with Rachel, uh, and we were, uh, <laughs> I don't remember how this came up, but I was like, I was like, this would make such a great D&D campaign, right? You know, because you have this, like, pitch. You're surrounded by the undead and all this stuff. Um, and to their credit, they were like, let's do it. And started a big group chat. Now there's a group. We're getting started next Wednesday. It, like, it is one of those things where it's like one person has the will to make the thing happen. And it is and it is now happening. Um, but I have been deeply reading the Warcraft 5e fan-made compendium which is a truly monstrous book it is over 400 pages of like changes to represent absolutely everything about the warcraft universe in um you know like in a DD setting um and uh and yeah i'm writing the tank rules i'm very excited about this i've been trying to figure out how to how to make the tank stuff good because the biggest fantasy that I will always have about these sorts of games is I want to have four people in a vehicle where everyone is doing their own thing, but it is like satisfying to operate it as a unit. I kind of feel like the Starfinder, I mean, we talked about this a long time ago. Yeah. I kind of feel like the Starfinder combat rules were close, but didn't quite get there. Um, and so I'm trying to I'm trying to alleviate that with my with my homebrew tank rules that I have been going goblin mode on. Yeah, I I wonder if how easy that is to do in like kind of like a turn based setting, right? Like I think part of the thing that makes it work for like the video games, right? Like we played this yep. Gen kind of a couple times is, um, you know, because it's all real time, right? You are you're all focusing on one th like on on kind of your own thing, but you're also kind of like contributing to the main thing and there's like a real-time aspect to it and you got to kind of like you know you know cut power here and give give power here right like you know and, and that all feels like super um uh super uh satisfying because you're doing it you know you're, you're all working to uh together and there's like a real time pressure I, I think it's a little bit harder for that to work in a turn-based setting um and so i'm interested to see if you can if you can pull it off yeah um, me too uh Maybe maybe I'll show you the rules that I've that I've written and we can t we can talk about that on stream or something. Yeah, yeah, uh, that'd, that'd make a good my, episode. My thing right now is I'm getting rid of facing. Right, this is this was a big thing in Pathfinder. Right, they, that there's that there's facing. Um, I think that's not super fun to deal with and kind of makes 
uh, movements complicated. Um, and then my other thing was I tried to give everybody like an action. So, you know, so, so in the, so do you remember, I don't know if you know, remember these siege tanks, these siege tanks have a giant roller, like a steam, steamroller kind of thing in the front. Um, and they also have these battering rams, right? So the yeah. idea is you have your gunner who's in the turret doing, you know, shooting the gun, right? Um, but you also have the driver who can engage and disengage this gigantic roller, right? So if the driver wants to make attacks, they can do so by, you know, lowering the roller into the thing. Um, uh, and then the other one was the battering ram because there's, it's like a siege engine. It has the the hawk face or the lion face or whatever the face is. I think it's a like an eagle or whatever, but that's a battering ram, right? It shoots out. It can do the the thing like in like in WoW. Um, and so all three of uh, gunner, driver, engineer each have a, like an attack action that they can use if they want to. Um, and the other thing I'm trying to do is think about like, uh, and then there's also like the tank commander, right? Who's like the captain in Starfinder. Um, is I'm also trying to think about like what are some other things that can make these like roles like unique and interesting. Uh, so one of them is gears for the driver. Uh, the driver can shift gears, which is like a stance thing, right? So if you're in a high gear and you're moving fast, you're doing stuff in a different way than if you're in a low gear, for instance. Um, I'm trying to make that like a fun or engaging sort of <laughs> sort of system to use. Um, I don't know stuff like that. There's uh there's like armor points and critical uh, I can't remember it might be called critical damage right it's like you know armor points is like the the HP pool but when you start taking critical damage right that's when the actual mechanics of the system get uh kind of like fucked with all that stuff um I don't know it's interesting I'm gonna see if I can make it work see if yeah, I can make it happen so you've got you've gotten rid of facing entirely yeah yeah. So like it doesn't matter which way the tank's pointing, you can do kind of whatever you want. Um, my expectation is, um, so so it won't matter for a lot of a lot of aspects of the tank, in the sense of like the turret is immune to facing anyway because it can because it can right yeah the the, like, the, tur the turret the turret facing makes sense to me. Um, it's the other parts that don't quite like. I feel like in order to feel like a tank, you need like, in order to like give like say the movement some tactical depth, you want like you know armor plating on the fronts and sides, which requires facing in order to kind of like make that meaningful, right? Like that's... yeah. See, I got rid of that stuff because I think I think it becomes really complicated, right? But the thing I think facing might have to be there for is like the battering ram, yeah. right? Because the idea for like a battering ram. Um, is you need to set it into a position and then it hits and it, it's going to hit for a million. You know, like, I, there's a, I, I don't remember what they call it in Pathfinder, right? But there's massive damage and personal damage, right? Personal damage is me shooting you with my rifle, right? I open up the hatch of the tank, I pop out the top, and I use my action to shoot you, basically, right? Um, instead of use one of the tank maneuvers. Um, but if I shoot you with the turret, the turret does a bazillion damage, right? Yeah, that um, that was from um, Star Wars, I think. Oh, you're right. Maybe that was from Star Wars. Uh, whatever the case, I like that distinction, right? right How yeah. there's massive damage, personal damage, right? Um, if I shoot a frost worm with the tank gun, that does normal damage. If I shoot it with my rifle, it doesn't do as much damage, right? The idea is that the frost worm is kind of like an enemy vehicle in a certain sort of sense. Um, and... 
and I think that for <laughs> the crusher uh, and the battering ram, you kind of maybe have to have some sort of like facing stuff. So maybe like on a movement level, facing matters. Um, but I think on a damage level, I don't want to do that thing where it's like, oh, well, we have eight different health pools on all the different sides of the, the tank. It's like, no, there's one pool. It is hull point. You know, you have your armor points. When your armor is breached, right, now you're taking critical damage. The critical damage is rolling against a table to say, okay, the turret is now damaged. The turret takes damage again. It's now disabled, right? Um, that kind of that kind of thing. And then you have an engineer who can then repair those systems on the fly with jury rigging, right? Like, I think that's the, that's the in terms of intake of damage. Um in terms of movement through the through the map, you probably have to have some some level of that, which yeah. is probably something that in my head there are there are differences between gears, right? So when you're in a high gear, you can't turn, so you can you can move forward, but it makes the crusher more powerful, right? You can do this huge big crushing attack, right? Um, stuff like that. This is this is what I was thinking about when it comes to making movement interesting for the. Tech. So so something you might consider doing, and this is something that happens that I think you might be able to take from Lancer because we were talking off stream last night yeah. about whether or not Lancer could model this stuff and I don't think the the like the the controls for Lancer quite work but but like a concept it has is that you have essentially a health pool and then you have structure damage and so when you empty your health pool your structure goes down by one you roll on a table and it has an effect and then your health pool refills again right so like oh interesting yeah. and so like you roll like a d6 and on like lower numbers are worse, and so like you might lose a weapon or a system, um, and like the systems in Lancer are like you know like you can like uh, one of my systems is a um, is like a I get I have some grenades or like you can place like a wall down or something or like it's like a like a basically a non-direct combat typically type of thing, um, but uh, uh or like you know jump jets or um type of deal um and uh. Or, like, you know, you could, like, you know, suffer, like, uh, a meltdown or, or, like, something that debuffs you for the fight. And I think that's a cool system. Um, so you might consider looking at those rules because I, I think that might be a neat way to, to go with that. Like, you know, the tank slow. The tank, once it, like, once you breach it, once you, like, hit it, right? Like, it'll lose, like, you know, maybe it loses one of its gears or, like, maybe, maybe... The, the turret gets stuck in a direction and it has to, you know, fire in the, in the facing direction or something like that. Yeah, I do actually kind of like that. The, the way I have it written right now is that there is, um, there's the different spots on the tank, right? So the turret, the wheels, the crusher, the engine, right? And all of those are also correspond to a person, right? So for instance, if the turret takes critical damage three times, you then start taking personal damage, right? So that what that represents is the turret gets hit its damage, then it gets disabled. Now, anytime the turret is taking damage, you personally inside the turret are taking damage, right? Um, which I think is like the danger. Um, of uh like letting you know some of these structure structural damage is a great term for it i was I, I was searching for it, i was like whatever i'm just gonna use critical damage but structural yeah is the is a really strong way to to like frame to yeah. frame that the, the way we've been saying is like you know oh you get structured um and you know it uh it's uh it's, yeah. it's a, it's a the thing I, the thing I like about that is I like the idea that there's armor piercing, right? You know, maybe if I'm fighting a whatever, right? It's it's fine, but now, oh, here's this thing, and it has armor piercing damage, and 
it's going straight to that critical pool and like like nailing some okay. of some of these systems. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, interesting. Because because that that would not work with the Lancer. Because like Lance, you have like you know four structure points and like yeah. and then like a variable health pool on top of it. Um, and there's armor on top of it too, right? And there's separate armor piercing <laughs> damage. Um, you might consider just like looking at how it does damage to to kind of um see if that's something that you're interested in. Because like I feel yeah, like you want yeah, that critical that. that critical health pool to be higher in order for that to work. But um, yeah. So that's, that's yeah. The critical health pool definitely has to be high because um, you know, the idea is that oh, and then the other thing is that when the critical health pool goes to um uh zero you start taking core damage right which is just like the whole thing is fucking falling apart um and everyone is taking damage when when you're taking core damage which is basically if the tank goes to zero and you guys are still inside of it and you start taking hits those hits are going to kill you personally right um it's like you know imagine getting getting uh like a like a like a tank shell penetrating into the the hull of another tank and exploding there right like this right. can do a gazillion damage that kind of thing yeah very cool all right well we're at time we've got a rate to get to so i think we should True. call it here um okay if you'd like to email us about any of the things we talked about on this podcast you can email us at thedirtsfulgames.gmail.com or podcast.thedirtsfulgames.com you can follow us on twitch.tv slash thedirtsfulgames or youtube.com slash at thedirtsfulgames where these go out live um rate review us on itunes wherever you find podcasts um, links are all down in the description, but do you have anything else you're looking to promote? Uh, I'm streaming this Friday, uh, Estrella, which is why I want to mention it. Uh, I'm actually streaming two games. So in the right at stream start, we're streaming Cryptmaster. Have you seen Cryptmaster yet? No. Uh, Cryptmaster was just in Ludo Naricon, got a bunch of featuring, which we're pretty excited about. Um, so I am streaming, um, I'm streaming Cryptmaster first, and then later in the day, uh, or not later in the day, later in the like the stream session. Cryptomaster will probably only take like half an hour. Uh, I'll be streaming Astraea. Uh, there is a poll in the Astraea Discord for uh, what character uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be on stream because it's Mooney, Solarius, or Havelius, uh, depending on you know what people want to do in the poll. So uh, if that's something you're interested in, it's in the it's in the Astraea Discord, which I don't think has a Discord.gg slash Astraea, but it might be that. Um, so, yeah. Great. Awesome. Well, uh, with that, I'm going to say, uh, until next time to your listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>